dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. We're going to do something a little different this week. We're devoting this episode to the topic you raised in the cover story for the November 23rd issue, Who's Watching the Kids? We'll be speaking with some mothers and community leaders who were who can help us grasp just how challenging it is to find affordable, available, and adequate childcare out here in rural America. You know, Kayleen, I tell you what, I started researching this piece and I feel like I only just covered the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think we're going to be exploring this topic further in future issues of the High Plains Journal for sure. Um, we here at High Plains Journal strongly believe that future that children are the hope for our future success of our country, and that's why to show our support for 4-H, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of every subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there is no better time to start, renew, or gift a High Plains Journal subscription. You can visit hpjsubscribe.com. Again, that's H pjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription rate will benefit 4-H. Well, Kayleen, you are a mom with intimate knowledge of the child care gap out here in in rural Kansas. You have a blog post coming out uh, this week talking about your experience. So before we get started with our our featured interview with our, our ladies here, Um, How difficult was it for you to find care for your boys when they were infants, Um, and how did you manage that then and now that they're older? Well, it's kind of hard for me to find a starting point because I was kind of the person that, oh, I wasn't sure I wanted to have kids. I didn't, never changed a diaper until my kids, own kids were born, so I wasn't really the, oh, I wanted to be a mom my whole entire life. I, I really didn't come from that sort of thing. I had horses, and I rodeoed, and I was very selfish and wanted to keep rodeo. And so the, the horses were such a big part of my life. And when my, I got pregnant with my oldest, I was reading stuff online and found, you know, you need to start looking now for childcare when you decide. And I was lucky enough that at the journal, I was able to work, what, a couple days a week at home and then come to the office a few days. And those days when I did come to the office, my mom watched him, but I ended up paying her because, I mean, she had to drive 10 miles. She had to stay here all day and it just worked out better for us. And then when the second one came along, I decided that Sean needed a little socialization. He needed to be around other kids because you could see a difference in, in his social skills at that point. And so I found a babysitter that my sister used and she was kind of a family friend, but she was licensed and she had a daycare with about 10 kids in it and his cousin was also going there so it was a little easier transition for him because he knew somebody there and once he started pre-k he rode the bus home 
to, or he rode the bus to grandma's house and I picked him up there and mom watched my youngest then too. So, but I, I paid my mom the whole time she was watching them. And now that they're both school age, they go to after school, which is helpful because they keep them till five o'clock and I'm able to work a full day and know that they're being taken care of. My husband works out of town. He's always worked about 30 or 40 minutes away and we have cattle south of Dodge. So, you know, he's always out of pocket. And when the pandemic hit and school was canceled, I told him there's no way that I'm going to be able to take care of these two kids, school them and do my full-time job. So for a while he took them with them. He would take one and leave one at home and they got to spend time with their dad one-on-one. But that came a point when, you know, he was too busy. So they had to stay at home and that's <laughs> we are where we are right now. <laughs> so basically it is a day-to-day decision in the Scott household where the, where the kids are, um, especially if, if your routine is upset, like something like COVID happens, right? Yeah. And I have a side, side gig. I take, uh, family photos and weddings and that sort of thing. And I, my mom's a go-to because we don't have a relationship with my mother-in-law. So my, my mom is, is the babysitter or my older sister. Um, so it's always something that's on my mind. You know, if I, if I want to go do something, I have to find somewhere for the boys to go or something for them to do. You know, Kayleen, I think one of the things that, that shocked me in reporting this story was the gap for licensed providers in, in Kansas, Child Care Aware of Kansas reported in 2019 that there are 18 counties in Kansas that do ha- not have openings for infants or toddlers in licensed facilities. Um, that, that just shocked me. In, in 77% of our counties in this state, there are 10 or more kids under the age of three for every single opening at a child care center. And in six counties, that number rises to 40 kids for every single opening. That's insane. There are 36,000 kids born or welcomed into households every year in this state. There, there aren't, aren't enough childcare openings for even half of that number in our state. And, yeah. and Kayleen, as I was talking with folks, and we're going we're gonna to talk with our guests here later, um, what frustrates me, what frustrates many of them is community elected officials at, at all levels just kind of sort of push the situation aside. Oh, you know, that's just for parents. You know, that's just a babysitter issue. It'll work itself out, however. Um, but the effect on business you know, na- nationwide, $4.4 billion lost by companies because of the child care gap, because their employees had snafus. They were late getting them uh, off to daycare. They, were, they had to leave early to go pick them up. Um, they didn't have a sitter at all, or they didn't have a provider at all. So they had to take their, their vacation days or unearned time. And, and Kayleen, I tell you what, it didn't even... I couldn't even touch with that story, the, the snafus with single parents or the working poor, homeless families, shift workers, kids that have special needs. It, it all hinges on if kids can get an opening, if you can afford that opening, and if you can make the pickup and drop-off times, and if your kid doesn't get kicked out. <laughs> I, I heard from mothers that, you know, they have children that for one reason or another, were asked to leave the daycare, um, yeah. and they, they were forced to find something else. 
you had a provider in town. There were some rules about picking up and dropping off, right? Yeah, she had set hours when she was done for the day and she could only have so many kids there a day. She was only licensed for 10 kids. So you had to follow her rules or otherwise you got kicked out. And that was only because she was running a business and she was looking out for the kids. And I mean, you have to follow the rules. You can't just do whatever and expect a daycare to, to keep your kid. And I know when my mom, she had to have surgery and she couldn't take care of the boys. So I had to put, find another place to put chance in. And I called, I don't know how many places to find a spot for him. And and I did finally find one at a daycare center that was at a church and it was an adjustment after being in an in-home daycare compared to a daycare center, just the way they, the rules are. And he, he was one of those kids where he about got kicked out a time or two because <laughs> again, he'd been with his grandmother for th- the first three years of his life. So, I mean, it was an, an adjustment for everybody, including grandma. Grandma had some, some issues dealing with not having the, the boys every day like she did before. Well, Kayleen, thanks for for sharing a little bit of insight from from you. Um, And folks, this conversation today is why we are shining a light on this situation. And if you have a story that you would like to share, let us know at hpjtalk at hpj.com, or you can call us at 1-800-452-7171. And thank you for riding along with us today on HPJ Talk. We'll be back in a minute. Joining us today for our podcast discussing child care gaps in rural Kansas are Leanne Seiler, Hodgman County Economic Development Director, and Melissa Clark, mother and a paraprofessional in the McPherson County School District. And uh, ladies, welcome to the podcast. Uh, We appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Okay, let's start off by having each of you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family, uh, the area you live in. And Melissa, let's have you go first. All right. I'm Melissa Clark, and I work as a para in McPherson at an elementary school. Um, I have one daughter. She's two. And my husband farms full-time with his grandparents. And Leanne, you are the Economic Development Director for Hodgman (laughs) County, but you're also a mom and a grandmother, and you've experienced the child care situation from both sides. Tell us a little bit about your family and the community. Uh, well, Leanne Seiler, Hodgman County Economic Development. Um, I was telling Jenny when we first started this conversation that I've been dealing with this for 35 years. <laughs> when my kids were little and my husband was still in college and I had to work because that was our health insurance, I remember writing checks for daycare that were more than what I made. Um, and it didn't, it just didn't gel very well then. And it's still an issue. Um, but in addition to that was, um, you know, finding daycare that worked. We had two little boys and then we had another little boy before he finished that um, was under 18 months. And so we had no place to put him. And it was a, a, at that point uh, when my husband was in college, we had one car. So it was an 
absolute craziness trying to get everybody picked up, dropped off to school, home, you know, it, and here we are this, this much later and I'm experiencing it again. <laughs> um, I love my grandchildren dearly. We had five children. We now have six grandchildren, uh, three live in Texas and they have their own daycare issues there. Um, but three live here in town and, um, when they, they moved here late 2018, um, their mom had died suddenly. And so like, you know, overnight we had a one-year-old, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and not a single opening in the county. Um, we worked with the health department to try to find, you know, providers and things. We were actually able to find someone who could take the, the two-year-old, <laughs> but nobody else had any openings. And it was just crazy. And, you know, the trauma that they had been through with losing their mom and things, you didn't want to, you know, their whole world was turned upside down. So then you don't want to send them out separate places to different people and things. So we found someone that was able to help us, um, you know, just on, on the hours that she could with still trying to stay legal. And it, it was craziness. I mean, I am really, really lucky that my employer did not give me the boot um, because there were days I couldn't get to work till 9.30 or 10 because I couldn't drop them off till then. Then at 11.30, I had to go pick up the oldest one and move her to preschool. And then, uh, let's see, there was another something at 1.15, I had to go move another one. And then I had to make sure and be back at the school at four o'clock to pick them up off the bus if their dad was going to work. <laughs> And so I didn't get a lot done for a while. And, and uh, it was a complete, um, you know, just with all the other things we were dealing with, it was utter craziness. And, and I started, you know, I know our community had had issues before that with daycare, because it seems like we, we go along, we go along, we're okay, we're okay, we're just barely making it. And then a daycare provider quits, or somebody has a baby or two, and then we're, we're all upside down again, and we just don't have enough care. And we have lost community members because of it. They've had to move where there's daycare. You know, if you're working in Dodge and you're living in Jetmore, um, sometimes you can have a provider in Dodge and go that way. But if you have a provider in Larned, <laughs> it's not going to work very well. And um, it's just, it's it's always there bubbling under the surface, but sometimes it's worse than others. My goodness. Well, Leanne, heavens to Betsy. Um, uh, let's talk about, so today, Leanne, you brought up a, an excellent point, a, a starting point. Let's talk about availability. Kayleen, I think you were going to start on that one. Availability was always tough when my kids were about that age. Um, you know, like I said before, there was a point in time where grandma couldn't watch them and I had to find an actual daycare to, to send them to. And, you know, I called and called and called different places around town. I heard something about this place, heard something about that place and finally found something that fit. Um, Melissa, you and your husband live in the county in a center of the state and, but you've had trouble with availability as well. How did you manage that? Um, yeah, so we would call places and when Ro our daughter Rosalind was small, it was hard. And so we actually got a name from someone from our church and she was unlicensed. She was just kind of doing, doing on the side. And so we were lucky to have her. And then she decided that she wanted to try something new. Her kids were older in middle school. And so we called and called and called and called. And um, I don't know, I'm a little bit anxious person. So I was like, we have to find somebody. And um, in the town, just a few miles from us, um, someone was opening a daycare. 
And so we went with her and then situations happened and she, her son had to go to a different school. So then she was unable to watch Rosalind anymore. And luckily we called to a center in McPherson and they called like that same day that they had an opening for her. So yeah, it's been a struggle. Yeah, so, I know the relief when you are able to find a spot and you feel comfortable at the place and it's, yeah. Okay. So Melissa though, you bring up an excellent point. Um, there are licensed providers and we, we, you know, report on the number of licensed openings that we have. Right. But we all know that there are unlicensed providers in the communities. It's an open secret. Um, some are good and, and it's just, you know, they're, they're good babysitters type of thing, you know? Um, but how, how did you feel about, you know, having to go that route or, or did you talk with people and they said, you know, yeah, that, that lady's a good opportunity there, even though she's not licensed. How, how yeah. did that work for you? So a lady from our church had recommended that, I mean, her, her granddaughter went to her. And so we called and I think she was a little unsure because at that time she had like one other family and, but we went to her house and we met with her and she decided if she liked us, we decided if we liked her. And it just happened to work, thankfully. But it gets to the point where you don't, sometimes you don't even care if you're comfortable, as long as there's just someone who can take your kid while you have to go to work. That's, that's a tough um, feeling to, to be in, I can imagine. Um, Leanne, you are in a unique situation where you deal with businesses, you're developing businesses in Hodgman County. I assume that unlicensed providers are just an open secret in Hodgman County, right? like all other Western Kansas counties? Probably not that different than all other communities. Um, I, you know, it's it's kind of to the point, like when I was working with the health department to find someone and, and it, we just couldn't do it. And they knew that I, I was going to have to quit my job completely if we didn't find someone. You know, we, we did our best to fall within the law. We really did. Um, but it's it's not something that, that I think people need to realize. It's not just a, a parent issue. It's not just a family issue. It's a community issue. It's an employer issue. It's an economic issue. And if you lose half the population, I, I'm thinking women are about half the population. Um, if, if you lose about half of your available workforce because they can't work because they can't leave their child in a, a safe, secure place when they're gone, it's hurting your community. It's hurting the state, the nation. It, it's a big issue. And that just, uh, that that's scary. Um, Kayleen, when you were looking for for a provider, did you feel like you had a sense of competition or, you know, there was a sense of, well, if I don't like it here, I can always take them over here. And um, like there there was a competition for your business. There was a enough openings that you could say, I don't like this place. It's not right for my child and my family. I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't know that there was enough openings. Um when I was looking for a place for a chance when mom had surgery, there was only maybe one or two in Dodge City that had an opening and all the in-home places were full. They had a waiting list, but it had, you know, lots of kids waiting to get in there anyway. And at that point, I think he was three and there was a lot of them that, well, he needs to be potty trained. And that was another obstacle that we had to overcome because they had certain criteria that they needed to meet. And 
the year that Chance was born, <laughs> when I was in the hospital, there was ha- they were having babies in the hallway because there were so many kids being born that particular week <laughs> that we were in there. And so I know there was a bunch of kids that year, at least in February. <laughs> so, you know, I knew the spots were limited anyway. Leanne, as a, as, you know, economic development, um, are, are there talks in the community to bring in more providers to provide that availability in Hodgman County or, or surrounding counties? Is there, is there some ways that you can work with other counties to kind of bring in a provider or two? Any, any recruitment? I, I believe there's some opportunity. Um, just recently, uh, Reba, and I'm going to embarrass myself by not knowing exactly what it stands for, um, but through Joanne Knight and Dodge City, there was a, a Zoom um, group that was held, I think, November 12th, where we invited people who may be interested in, in becoming a licensed uh, child care facility, and uh, it was a very good presentation with SBDC and child care licensing and um, went over, you know, the steps and, and uh, programs that were out there to help you. And then SBDC talked about, you know, if this is something you're passionate about, how to turn your, your dreams into a reality and things. I'm very hopeful that we have one new provider that's going to come out of that. And one new provider is more than we had to begin with. Um, so I'm excited about it. On the other hand, there's not enough talks about it. It's a bigger issue than what's, you know, bubbled to the top. Um, earlier when you were talking about, you um, people who are, um, you know, there's not really a, a competition, you know, you, you kind of take whoever you can get type thing. I'm always shocked. And, and you guys have probably seen it too. You look on Facebook and some of these Facebook chats or, or the area, you know, buy, sell traders, like, please, I need someone to take care of my kids tonight. And I was always shocked when I saw this, like, Ooh, who might you get on that? You know, it just terrified me. Um, but I kind of get it now because if you've got a child and you have to go to work to provide, especially like the single parents, to provide a roof over their head and food and medical and things like that, you have to ha- keep your job. But how do you do that without childcare? You know, you bring up an interesting point there because we in, in Ford County have a lot of shift work. Um, we've got the big major packing plants. We've got 24 hours in some of the manufacturing. And so you've got some parents, as Joanne Joanne Knight explained to me for the story, she said, there are some parents that mom works the day shift, dad works the night shift. And if that ever gets out of whack or out of sync, they are in a pickle because, and and then you think about it, about it too, at some point in time, the parent has to sleep. So they're going to work for their 12 hour shift or whatever. They're coming home and they have to be on to make sure that you know, there's childcare provided. Um, you know, Melissa, you are, you, you've got a, a husband who loves taking Rosalind to work with him on the farm. Um, how, tell us a little bit about that, about how you guys work together to make sure that there's coverage for Rosalind. Yeah. So now it's not as difficult because she's at a center. So someone will be there to watch her regardless, but, um, yeah, she's sick or, her old home daycare people were sick. She would be at home. And so we're lucky that Rick can take her to the farm and his grandma and grandpa are there and they love watching her. But sometimes it gets to be a lot. Like they're not like spring chickens anymore. So running after a one to two year old isn't, it gets tiring. So, um, but yeah, she's a little bit older now. So like she can ride in the tractor and the combine and do more things, but 
yeah, he's like, I have to work. What am I going to do? I was like, sorry. <laughs> like I do too. <sighs> and my job isn't quite as flexible as yours. <laughs> yeah. It's, you can't exactly bundle her up and take her into the school with you. Can you? No. <laughs> I would love to. The kids would love it. But. <laughs> all right, Melissa. Um, we all know COVID started in March, and you're a, a paraprofessional and in the school system there, and it brought a lot of problems to light as far as childcare and being able to do your job at home as opposed to you know leaving the house every day. Um, what happened at some of the facilities in your area? when the virus came to their doors or has it affected any of them? What's going on where you're at? So I, I, Roslyn was at a home daycare at that time. And so um, our school district decided that pairs don't really need to do much. So I didn't really do much. So I was just able to stay home with her. Um, But I know some people like centers closed or they stayed open. Some of them stayed open. So I mean, obviously home centers, um, their kids came home, like they had to do schooling for their kids. Mm -hmm. So it's just a mess. And like now, since COVID is still happening, um, like daycare centers aren't sure if they would have an opening because it depends on what the school year looks like. Um, our, Our district was just in hybrid. And so kids came half the day. And now we're remote. And so now they're freaking out because they have all these kids that need to be on Zoom calls and all these things. And there's just not enough time and not enough like tablets or computers or adults to watch all these kids doing all these things for their schoolwork. What about you and in your community, Leanne? Well, you know, like everybody else, last year we we went completely remote. Um there were a lot of issues with that, especially if you were working and you had multiple children at home, you know. Um, I don't believe that our our home daycares stopped providing care at any time. Um, I, I'm not not that I'm aware of. Um, I think the the child the the church operated child care uh, did. And now we're kind of back there again. Um, here a couple of weeks ago, the schools went ahead and, and went to remote learning until November 30th when we had a, a blossoming of COVID in our community. And um, I, I know one family now that their babysitter tested positive last week. And so the father um, is home with the kids for two weeks now. And so, you know, that it, it's working, but then his employer is without an employee for two weeks as well. And um, it's a struggle. You know, speaking for my daughter-in-law in Texas, she's a teacher. And so she lives out in the country with next to no connectivity. And so now she's supposed to teach kids with that situation and has two children that she's trying to teach in that situation and has a baby. And, you know, and the baby was going to, um, I I was really impressed with the Sunray School District. They started up their own childcare center called um, Bobcat Den, I think. And so that's where the baby was going. And that's how she had childcare. Well, now it's closed too. So this is a lot of stress on people. And, and I realize that, you know, their COVID is just nasty all the way around, but this is hard. It's like somebody took the rug out from everybody because what, what was able to be stable in your family life and your, in your planning 
is all of a sudden, well, we're on a day-by-day basis. Um, when I was reporting on the story, I actually heard from a, a mother whose child was in a home unlicensed facility. There were four families that had like, you know, five or six kids in this one unlicensed facility, home daycare. And uh, the, the provider got COVID. So they had to shut down the unlicensed home provider for two weeks while she deals with this. In the meantime, those four families, the parents actually traded off days of the week where they would take all of the kids into their own homes and provide coverage. And so they're using their vacation days, their sick days, they're using all of that to make sure. And and so that way nobody got hammered too much, but they just kind of co-opted it together. Um, that's just it's an, it's insane to me that that we are in this situation. Um, As if it gets better in two weeks. Yeah, you know, I had COVID in late October, early November, and I'm I'm just getting off of almost the fourth week, and just now went back to work full time. You know, I would try half days, and then it'd be exhausted. So that's if she's just got those two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So the, now those kids are going to go back, and that person's going to be weaker. You know, and we're we're going to have them caring for children in a weakened state. We'll be right back with the next portion of our interview right after this word. High Plains Journal's Cotton U will be coming to a screen near you on December 3rd. See the schedule of speakers and register for free at hpj.com slash cotton U. Registered attendees will receive eight weeks of High Plains Journal for free. That's www.hpj.com slash cotton U. As we continue our conversation with Leanne Seiler and Melissa Clark about the child care gap in rural communities, we learn it's not just a lack of spaces, but the high price of those spaces in child care facilities that can hold rural families back. Um, Let's move on to the affordability question. And um, I know that, you know, money is one of those things that we, we don't like to talk about in rural America Nobody likes to say anything about checkbooks and, you know, how much things cost unless we're, we're saying, hey, that's a great purse. Oh, I got it on sale. That's literally the Midwestern value, right? Um, but let's talk numbers here if we can. Um, Melissa, how much does it cost for Rosalind one child per week or per month? Or, or how does it compare to the rest of your bills um, with your farm family? It's, it's a lot. It's probably twice twice as much as the car payment. Um, we pay like, I think it's 620 a month. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's practically one of your paychecks. Yeah. Wow. And that's Mm -hmm. in McPherson County, which is in the central part of, of Kansas, which is relatively, you know, successful. You've got oil and gas, you've got farming and agriculture. Um, Mm -hmm. Leanne, is that on par with what we're seeing in Western Kansas? I only had a chance to talk to, to one family and their bill is $1,600 a month um, with multiple children. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's on par. Um, it's it's a lot of money. And, and like I said, even 35 years ago, my daycare was more than what I brought in, but I had to work because that's where we were getting our health insurance. And so I think you find people some people that just say, you know what, I, I got to stay home. I, I'm going to have to take four or five years off. I, I I have this, you know, professional training and things and my, my job is needed, but I'm going to have to stay home because it doesn't make sense, doesn't make financial sense. And I think we see that happening. 
And, and again, that hurts employers and hurts the economy as a whole. Um, and then you have people that are just doing the best they can and staying in the hole. I cannot imagine how you would have like a, a minimum wage job and be able to pay for childcare and other bills. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Man, I wasn't paying my mom near enough. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't have your mom listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came to the point where I was paying for both of them and it got to be a little tight and something had to give, I mean, there was certain times that I didn't have any more money and I was like, well, <laughs> I guess we have beans and rice this week. <laughs> well, and, and the um, farm suffers, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, when I'm stressed out, nobody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys able to pay for the child care, the bills, and take care of other like student loans? Are you able to save for retirement? I know I'm st- almost 20 years out of college and I'm still paying for my student loans because, you know, it's not a priority. I don't really, I went out of state, so I'm still paying on it. Um, I do have a retirement account. It's not very much, but are you guys able to pay for those sort of things? Yeah, Melissa, let's start with you. Yeah. Um, so with my working at school, they can take out retirement and, um, we were lucky we put this house on our ground. And so we just took out a little bit extra, extra of a loan because the interest rate was lower for the house than my student loans. So we just paid off my student loans with the house loan. (laughs) Um, other than, I mean, right now we're making it, but when it comes to the summer, I don't, I don't get paid during the summer. And so we're going to have to pull Roslyn and which means we won't have her spot in the center she's in now. So we were planning originally to hold her back here because her birthday is very early August, but um, she might be going to three-year-old preschool next year just because that's, there'll be an opening and I can take her to school with me to the preschool at my school. So Plans are changing just to fit the daycare. So, well, and Leanne, with with five kids and six grandkids and and all, you know, all, but thank God the the youngest one's in college now, and I have no child there. <laughs> um, I tried to do my part by helping out, you know, the the grandkids when when daycare providers are sick and stuff. I take off when I can and and help out, and you know, so that they're not having to pay someone else to come in and things. Um, but, but yeah, it did make a huge difference for us when we were, you know, when we were struggling to, to make it with all the kids and everything, it's a huge expense. And it did, it stretched out those student loan payments forever. (laughs) So So there, there is an end in sight, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, when I was doing the reporting, I heard from many people that said, look, we put off buying a replacement vehicle or we put off investing back into the farm or back into our small business in the community. Um, Leanne, again, you, you see both sides of the equation. You see the business side and the family side. Um, do you see people that aren't um, able to contribute financially to the community because they've got this overwhelming bill on top of them? Yes. And then I think there's, there's some entrepreneurs that have some amazing ideas. And as far as getting those things, you know, uh, to fruition, it's hard when 
you, you have this huge bill that you know you're going to have for at least, you know, five years, maybe a little after, you know, even just because they're in school doesn't mean you're not going to have daycare anymore. You're going to have it in the summer. You're going to have, we don't have an after school program or anything. So um, it's, yeah, it slows things down. And I, I don't, I, I know we need it. I know, but I know there's got to be an answer because um, some of these entrepreneurs have some um, just amazing ideas and we need them in our communities. Yeah. And Melissa, you guys are a young family just starting out on the farm. You know, are, are, how is, how's it, how do you balance? It's difficult. Um, we, I mean, Rosalind's too. So we've, there's always this possibility of maybe having another kid, but then there's no way that I could work as a para. Um, so it's just hard. And then like, like I said, we put this house out here so we could be close to the farm and there's lots of things we need to do to it, but there's not enough money to do. So as we've talked about I getting maybe a different job in town or Rick going to work at like John Beer part for some time, or I even go back to school and get my teaching degree. So yeah, it's, it's really stressful and challenging. <laughs> Imagine. And Kayleen, I know when you guys bought the farm, actually bought a farm, there wasn't, that's not a, a <laughs> it's not a simile, but you bought the, you bought the farm and you bought the cattle and, and all of that. I know that added a lot of stress to you guys. Um, you know, you started well, a business on the side. Yeah, we, I was 30 some years old when I had the first one and I'm probably the oldest parents in their classes. So, I mean, I feel like I've, you know, got what I wanted to do in my career. I got that under my belt. I've got the schooling I, I want to have. And, you know, if I wanted to get more education, I would probably wait until they're a little older. I mean, they're nine and six, but still we feel the effects of, you know, having, having the, had the farm and the side businesses and all that other stuff. But have any of you felt like the childcare has held you back? I know, Melissa, you, you talked a little bit about that. And Leanne, your kids are, are older, but do you feel like that, you know, at some point you may retire because you are going to take care of your grandkids? Absolutely. I mean, it is a, it, it, it's like a monthly discussion, <laughs> you know, um, but the, the fear I have is that I, I really do enjoy my job. I like it. And I, I feel like I'm contributing to society. However, they will always come first, you know, when, if, if they wouldn't have care, that's where I'm going. And, um, the, the, the baby, the baby, he's three now, um, you know, he's only really got two more years that, it, that this is the crisis mode. Um, and then he'll be in school and it'll be a little easier. So I keep putting it off just a little more, a little more, you know, <laughs> if we can make it. Um, but yeah, it's, that it's always there. That's, you know, and it was a real dis decision, you know, when they first got here, because when we couldn't find care, you know, you can't leave babies alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Leanne, you have a unique position or a unique point of view because you had your babies 35 years ago or so. And so that was a time where women were just now entering the workforce in larger numbers. Um, it, it wasn't so commonplace to have two income families. Um, they, you know, it wasn't, I can still remember my mom worked out of, out of the house, as, you know, a few times here and there, but 
she was always a farm wife, you know, she always had a, a stay at home mentality. Um, do you think, or, or have you heard from, from women in your community where the childcare question has kind of held them back from their, from advancing in professional careers, or even just saying, you know what, I know that I have a really great job at this bank here in this small town, but I can't afford to be a professional banker and take care of my kid. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And even my own daughter-in-law in Texas, that she took a couple years off and went back and then, you know, COVID hits and things and they're, they're trying to decide, is this worth it? it you know, is it better? And here, here's this, you know, um, really a master teacher. She uh, does an excellent job, was up for teacher of the year in Texas and things. So, I mean, she is, um, I, I would say, maybe not at the height of her career, but, but she, you know, she knows where she wants to go and things and childcare is definitely an issue for her. And it is for several people I, I know around here as well. Um, they might take different jobs if they were more confident in their childcare situation. But, um, you know, if it's, if it's a little iffy or something, you're not going to change jobs. You're going to stick with the one that you've been with a long time that may give you a little grace when you need it, <laughs> you know, and flexibility, um, where some others don't. I, I do think that that's one thing that we could do a better job of systematically is, is figure out a way, you know, if, if a mom can't get there till the school bus picks up her kids at a certain time, and then she has to be back to get the kids off the school bus, work with them. I mean, it's so much better than losing employees, good employees all the time. Let them work through the lunch hour. I think about our own county, you know, the courthouse is open certain hours. And if, if you work a full-time job, you can't get there during those hours. So let some of the moms keep it open during the noon hour and work through that and, and make it work for everybody. There, there are some solutions out there. We just need to be a little more flexible. I just think of the brain drain of all of this talent that we have in half of our population and just for one one little bit of the whole system, they will step out of of providing that, providing their their education, providing their skills and their their um, tools as as resources for us in rural America. I mean, that just it sounds like a silly thing to me. I think it's worse than half too. After I said that earlier. It affects, just like Melissa's husband, it affects her husband as well. It affects, you know, my son who's a widow, uh, it affects my son whose wife is a, a full-time teacher. It affects, you know, a number of people, grandparents, <laughs> you know, nobody is fully functional when there's a lack in daycare. Yeah. Join us next week as we continue our conversation with Leanne Seiler and Melissa Clark about the child care gap in rural communities. We'll speak about the quality of childcare that rural families have available to them, and then we'll also discuss solutions that many in the rural economic development sphere are trying to bridge the gap for their communities. Thanks for listening to our special episode and be sure to watch for our hay forage and grazing marketing and finance issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes November 30th with a story from Jennifer Thur. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com/podcast.
You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. 